I remember one of the church leaders saying that this was not good. This could not be from God and that he could recognize that voice because he had heard it when he was part of an exorcism. So he would, you know, recommend us not to use that type of voice anymore. Welcome back to Labeled, the stories, rumors, and legends of Tooth & Nail Records. I'm your host, Matt Carter, and today we're taking a virtual class trip to Scandinavia. We're going to hear from two Norwegian metal guys, Tor, who started the band Linksel and was also an ex-toll, and we will hear from David, who's the founding member and the only drummer that ex-toll ever had. This conversation will jump back and forth between the two of them, and I will let you know who's speaking as we go. Uh, We spend the first half of the episode mainly comparing cultures and upbringings, and there's a surprising amount that is familiar, but some very interesting differences in the way that they encountered and joined the heavy music scene from the way that a lot of us did. Also, Tor and David have somewhat different perspectives and views on the point of their music and its entanglement with faith. Uh, Both are lifelong musicians who continue to be progressive and put out new music. Both of these guys also have new bands that are out on solid state as we speak. Tor's new band is called Mantric, and David's new band is called Azusa. So please check those out. Uh, A couple production notes here. Both Tor and David's English speaking is terrific, and I'm very thankful for that. Uh, That, of course, is a second language for them, and you'll love their voices. And also, David was on vacation during the recording of this. So when I got on the Zoom call with him, I saw that he was outdoors, wearing a heavy jacket, standing on a pier in the most beautiful location that I've ever seen. It looked like it was out of a movie about Norway or something. You know, It's a shame you couldn't see the context for our conversation because it really added a lot to my perspective. But unfortunately, it was a bit windy on that pier, and much of David's tape has wind noise in it. And so I suggest right up front that you just accept that fact and then have it in your mind not to be distracted by it. Uh, And as is usually fun to do, I got a quick setup and story from Brandon uh, about what he recounts regarding the discovery of these groups. All right. What do you remember about discovering X-Toll? When did you first hear about them, and how did that come about? I met a guy named Samuel Derling from Sweden, and he was a graphic designer, and he owned his own label. And his label had Extol, Self-Minded, and Royal. And, but I believe, he, if I remember correctly, he lived in Sweden, but his bands were mostly from Norway. Mm-hmm. And what I really liked about Samuel's label is that all the packaging was, like, perfect, right? Because he was like kind of like a Ryan Clark of, of uh, Scandinavia. And he had lo- long hair, I remember he uh, came to America and we and we hung out. We went out for lunch in Seattle, and um, he was like, you know, he has the Scandinavian accent. I don't know if I can do it. But he <laughs> has long one-length hair, and he's like, and uh, 
everybody next door was very kind of like, you know, kind of like a living sacrifice on the last podcast. I talked about how they were really cool. They wore all black and had one length hair and they really looked apart. Extol, of course, definitely looked apart, right? Like high cheekbones, skinny dudes with long hair. And, and then the lead, lead singer of this band Royal that was on his label, she went on to actually do some pop stuff in Europe. I think she kind of got pretty big, but she was very attractive and everybody in her band was good looking and they were all kind of real good looking. And, you know, a lot of people in America, I think, think people in Norway and Sweden and Finland are all kind of good looking, you know. But what was funny is I go, Samuel, I go, it just seems like everybody on your label is good looking. And he goes, Brandon, to be on my label, looks are a must. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh. And he was like, um, you know, he was all about the packaging. And, you know, he wasn't trying to be cocky, but, it, you know, it was a little kind of cocky, right? Like, and uh, I remember he was eating and he had kind of a small portion of food and he was eating. He goes, you in America, you eat such big portions of food. <laughs> and I was like, boy. I'm feeling like a big fatty right now talking to this dude. Like, but anyway, yeah, he was a cool guy and um, his label was awesome. And, you know, back then he couldn't just pop it up, you know, on Spotify and hit stream in the U.S. on a right click his mouse. So he uh, he uh, needed distribution. And so we partnered with him on three releases. When did you first see Extol? Did they come to Cornerstone or what? Yeah, else? I, saw him at Cor- I saw him at Cornerstone. And not only did they look the part, but they also technically were like very good players. And uh, they're a metal band. And besides Living Sacrifice, um, you know, mostly what we focused on at Solid State was more hardcore bands. So, you know, like Strong Arm or Overcome, you know, you know what we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, we really felt like that was a great fit. You know, it was kind of hard to find a metal band. Of course, I tried to work with Believer, but they quit being a band altogether. Crucified had broken up years prior. Um, so there wasn't just a lot of really cool metal bands that had that kind of Christian backdrop that fit our brand at the time. So X-Toll was awesome. It was, it was a good fit um, for what we were trying to do. Were you always having in mind to look for different regions and cultures and kind of putting it all together? That's the way I kind of see it, what you, what you did. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I had a – I don't know if I was smart enough to actually know I was doing that at the moment. But, yeah, kind of. I was just – I was basically just trying to find really cool bands that all connected, that all connected the dots, that had kind of a like-minded worldview at that time, you know. And um, overall, I stole this kind of, I really wanted a metal band, and I really couldn't find one in America that I, I really liked. And so I stole really kind of hit that home for what we were trying to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, they happened to be from Norway. So, but what was cool about Extol is they came to America. They actually played shows. It wasn't like we just popped it out and they were a band that was off across the ocean. They were willing to come over to America and mingle with our culture and play shows and play with not just metal bands, but hardcore bands and play Cornerstone and things like that, which was real important for us when we invested money in them and signed them. Okay, Tor, my recording's rolling and everything here. Um, I'd love to start by just, I'm curious how you grew up, what it's like over there, and how you encountered music, heavy music, and that kind of thing. Well, yeah, I grew up in the in the countryside, in uh, the southern parts of Norway. And, um, I mean, the first uh, 10 years 
I was an ordinary kid just playing football or soccer, as we you might call it. Um, I pretty early got interested in uh, music. You know, I started listening to uh, bands like Bon Jovi and stuff like that. I mean, to me, it's uh, I had an ordinary upbringing, and um, but I got got into music when I was about uh, twelve years old. I would say, like, really interested in. Uh, um, I heard some music that was more uh, had more aggressiveness, more than uh, Bon Jovi and stuff like that. Uh, and of course, I listened to Madonna and stuff like that as well. How did you categorize that kind of thing when you hear Madonna or Bon Jovi? I mean, were they, you know, how do you categorize that as American music? Oh, to me, it was just, uh, you know, they have the big uh, choruses. It was pop music, effectively. Madonna and Bon Jovi both were American yeah, yeah. pop music. It was, it was, yeah, mm-hmm. because uh, they played both uh, like Bon Jovi and uh, Madonna and uh, Michael Jackson. Uh, they played all those, all that kind of music on the radio, so... I guess I got exposed to music through radio, like ordinary radio uh, first. Yeah, when I was about 10 or 12 years old, I had a friend who had uh, some cassette tapes with, uh, I think it was Dio and uh, Kiss. But I had to hide those cassettes from my parents because they didn't like, uh, (laughs) like the satanic imagery that Mm -hmm. those bands had. But that was kind of like the the entry to hard hard music for me. Later on, we got into thrash metal and uh, pretty soon death metal and then black metal. That became like uh, our music for yeah almost ten years. So when you so there was a, a boundary there to the kiss and stuff like that was seen more as satanic. So you grew up in is a Christian home. It's a Christian home, yeah, yeah, and you know, Kiss back then they were like uh, provocative, more than I mean. To, today, I saw Kiss last year, and it was like a parody, mm-hmm. yeah. But but back then it was, uh, you know, Jim Simmons had makeup, and it was blood and demons, and yeah, it was kind of kind of frightening. Did you like that part of it? Though you're attracted to the darkness of that of Kiss in a different way than Bon Jovi and Madonna. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was the first music you heard that was on the heavier or darker side was Kiss and Dio? Yeah. Kiss and Dio and, of course, ACDC and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look, looking at it now, it, it's uh, those bands are mainstream. So it, it was still mainstream, but, but heavy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were you playing guitar or had a musical background? No, no. Uh, I started playing guitar when I was 13 years old, uh, I would say. Didn't know how to play. And I used like a coin to pick. I, I wanted to play guitar, but I didn't know how to. And uh, I didn't go to school to learn it. So I'm self-learned. And uh, all of us, uh, my friends and me, we were all self-learned. And we kind of developed our own sound in a way pretty early on. Is music a big part of the culture there where lots of people are musical? Or from my view, when I'm hearing bands that come from Scandinavia at all they almost always seem more virtuosic and more musical in a true way than than most other bands to me in my mind i always feel like oh they must be everybody over there's practicing <laughs> everybody's a virtuoso they must all you know be trained or something because it seems like the music that comes out of there is even more detailed in it's in yeah, its yeah. playing I, I don't think it's uh, really any different than the the u.s i think it's 
pretty much the same. I mean, we have school music in school, uh, but you, I mean, you learn how to play the flute. It's mm-hmm. you don't learn how to play the guitar. It has to be an interest. I mean, to to learn it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were you picking yeah. up guitar w- with the intent to learn how to play difficult black metal and thrash and heavy music? I mean, was that the kind of thing you were looking to do when you got the guitar? I wasn't. I wasn't able to. I couldn't play uh, "Smells Like Teen Spirit" mm-hmm. even if I tried. So I just had to uh, uh, do my own thing. And um, yeah, I started playing with uh, Ola and John which I'm playing with today. So we've played together all our lives. What year so, would that have been? That's the early 90s? Or not, <laughs> maybe right yeah, around yeah. that, before that. <laughs> not, yeah, 90, I would say 93. 93. Yeah. Wow. So that's 27 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> all right. David, can you hear me? Yeah, right now I'm on uh, an island in... It's not like up north, but it's a bit up north in Norway. Uh, so I talked to Tor the other day, and I thought his uh, point of view was very interesting. And we kind of talked through, you know, some of the same stuff I want to talk through with you with in, I think, a parallel way. When you grew up, uh, did you grow up in a, in the countryside like Tor? Uh, well, not really. I grew up just outside Oslo. And... Uh, I wouldn't say countryside. I mean, I remember myself uh, taking the the subway into to the city when I was probably I don't know twelve years old or something, uh, all by myself. And so I was used to you know going to Oslo, to the capital of Norway, and I, I guess where Tor <laughs> uh, grew up, that was countryside. Yeah, yeah, I believe that is different. How did you get into music, and what was the landscape of music when you were you know around that age, twelve or beyond, or, or wherever you got. Yeah, well, I I grew grew up in a Pentecostal church, and my family was really involved in that church. And everything that had to do with music had kind of to do with God. Uh, if it didn't have to do any, anything to do with God, then it wouldn't be something that you should listen to. Uh, you know, it would be a little bit of that type of mentality. But I considered my parents, they were, and even the church I grew up in, they were quite open for a Pentecostal church to be. but. Uh, they would only let us listen to, you know, they wouldn't even uh, let my brother listen to, to to heavy music. And he was, I don't know, he's eight years older than I am. So in the late 70s, early 80s, they wouldn't let him, you know, listen to uh, Jerusalem or resurrection bands uh, and even Petra, I guess, uh, which was, you know, the Christian alternatives in wow. rock and roll back then. Wait, so your parents wouldn't let your older brother listen to the resurrection band? Uh, they wouldn't really let my brother uh, listen to that kind of music until my uncle came, and he he was you know a Christian, and he would bring a lot of Christian uh, records and say that hey, these guys are you know they're uh, using this music as a ministry for God, you know, to to let people know about Jesus. And then my parents would kind of accept it that my brother would listen to this music, and of course, my brother he became big idol for me and uh, being eight years older and everything and and he got me into Jerusalem and yeah later on the resurrection band and Petra and of course my my favorite band which is Striper Striper yeah they kind of changed everything and uh, I remember watching the album covers and thinking like hey yeah this is what I'm supposed to do 
I'm going to, you know, I'm going to play heavy music and I'm going to tell people about Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I guess I was probably seven years old or something. Seven. And, uh, yeah, seven <laughs> or eight. Oh, you, you knew you were going to play heavy music and tell people about Jesus when you're seven. That's great. Yeah, I think so. What year was that? In yeah, the 17th of May, we had our first show in 94. And uh, I remember Peter was 14 years old back then, and he had, but he had a really deep voice, and he was doing rolling even and uh, on one song. And I remember one of the church leaders saying that this was not good. This could not be from God, and that he could recognize that voice because he had heard it uh, when he was part of an exorcism. Uh, so he would, you know, recommend us not to use that type of voice anymore. It was not so easy to start to flirt with the extreme elements and put them into Christian music, apparently. Well, they were pretty extreme elements. I mean, and I, you know, when you go back and look at that time and you see what, you know, believer and mortification and even a lot of that stuff that you said, it was pretty extreme. I mean, people don't remember that some somehow, but uh, I'm fascinated with the influence of black metal and thrash metal and death metal. W- were you aware of those terms and what those things were? So we had heard of it and we were kind of aware of what it was. And we, we knew some bands in the in our neighborhood that would you know, flirt with those elements. And, and obviously, I mean, if you go back, then you, you see like how Norway is famous for traditional black metal music was yeah, extremely big in 93, 94, 95. Everybody in Norway was familiar with it or just some people? No, I mean, no. Well, was... uh, well, we had this, this uh, you know, the bass player of, uh, of Mayhem that killed the guitar player of Mayhem. And this was a huge thing in the Norwegian medias in 93. I remember, of course, if you would look like one of those guys or if you would make music that would sound like those guys, then you would be associated with something that was not good for for you. Yeah, it's probably a reason why our parents were a little worried at times <laughs> when we would work with, with those elements. Yeah, it seems like there was a real... I mean, I don't, I don't have any way to speculate about this other than to say it seems like... Norway and everywhere, it was a very uh, clean and organized place where things made sense, and they had the state church and everything, and then there, yeah. and that really created this uh, desire for there to be a counterculture or a rebellion, and it turned out to be pretty extreme. And so then, once that exactly. exists, then it's like a lot of people are going to be attracted to it once it gets rolling. Oh, Yeah. Well, that's a good way of summing it up. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it's just kind of a guess, but that's just kind of what I'm getting. I don't really know the history or whatsoever. And I don't, you know, I struggle to understand black metal and its sound and its values. Could you explain to me and the audience what is black metal as far as the genre? And how is it different than death metal and thrash? Well, I mean, uh, as far as the genre goes, I, I would think it it's... It goes with high pitch, uh, shrieking, uh, shrilling vocals, and uh, yeah, the guitar player would, you know, have play open chords fast with a lot of distortion, and uh, the drums would be, you know, would the drummer would play as fast as he could. That would be black metal. Death metal would be heavy, or it could also be fast, but it would be, be more um, controlled one string guitar double um, 
bass drums and uh, a lot of groove in death metal. But I, I don't think you can find a lot of groove in black metal. It would be true. more. It's uh, they always, or at least in the uh, in the 90s movement, they always sounded a little uncontrolled and a little like, yeah, just fast and uncontrolled. I mean, it's in a way it's punk music, just in a you know yeah. different direction. Black metal is, yeah, it's anti Christianity, it's uh, anti church. All right, now we're going to switch back to tour on that topic. You know, back in uh, the early 90s in Norway, we had this uh, church burnings and stuff, like the black metal movements. Uh, I'm interested then, uh, if you don't mind telling me, just take, yeah. take your time and explain that. Yeah, so in in the early early 90s, uh, we uh, in Norway, there was this, it's called the second wave of uh, black metal. The first wave was like uh, Celtic Frost and uh, Venom and bands like that. But in the early 90s, uh, some bands started to play uh, black metal uh, bands like Ven- like Mayhem and um, Emperor and yeah Immortal and bands like that and uh, they were like uh, they had more like a punk aesthetic it was rebellious in a way it, it felt back in the ni- early 90s the christianity and the state church in Norway was uh, pretty dominant uh, it was kind of like a reaction towards uh, the government and uh, everything established. They didn't give a shit about society. And uh, then they started wearing upside-down crosses, walking outside in the streets, uh, burning churches. Burning, actually burning down churches. Yeah, a lot, actually. It was black and metal the, bands were the ones do like. People yeah. in the black or actual, I mean, I, I can't even imagine how that works. Yeah, they've been sent to prison and uh, stuff like that. And uh, it was uh, um, murders and uh, yeah, so it, it was pretty intense. And uh, we kind of felt attracted. I mean, we're at the same age as those people and we kind of feel have the same feelings uh, towards society. I don't know, though we were not sa- satanic, but uh there was something there that we really could connect to. Okay, yeah. that's very, very fascinating. So you're a Christian at the time. Like, you, you, you thought of yourself not as not satanic, but a Christian believer was how you felt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not just yeah. put on by your parents or society. But yeah. yet, there was a movement, a rebellious movement in black metal that mm-hmm. was openly... Violently hostile to the establishment, yeah. and you resonated with that and wanted to. Yeah, that's very, very fascinating. <laughs> and it's yeah, it's yeah. hard to pinpoint what it was about that because I mean that just sounds yeah. like a more extreme, a lot more extreme version of just the simple dichotomy that I would say here of regular old American church, but my parents won't let me listen to this, but I like this yeah. kind of music, and I'm punk, and I'm rebellious in the general teenage way, but what you're describing is yeah. a lot more extreme. That's, I mean, we were kids back then, and uh, it's thinking back now, it's almost like we, we wish we weren't uh, Christians so that we could be like real black metal as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty silly. I don't think that I have anywhere near the ability to even differentiate between black metal, death metal, and thrash metal. So could you tell us about those genres even? Yeah, like black metal in the early 90s, it's uh, more 
organic, it's uh, atmospheric and uh, raw, I would say. It's it's not like, you know, you have the death metal, which is more, it's more produced in a way. It sounds more, you have, can hear more of the details and stuff like that. But black metal was more about moods and uh, many of the bands had like a, it was kind of depressing in a way. Not in an emo way, but... Uh, so I, I think we kind of uh, connected with those feelings as well. Uh, maybe that has with uh, growing up in Norway, like like the depressive feeling. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> wow. But, but that, that, that kind of caught us in a way. How, how do you mean depressive but not emo? I mean, looking back now, it's probably emo, but it felt more real. I mean, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't go outside and buy um, a belt with... Uh, like what is it called like uh, a studded spikes. belt yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like like spikes you had you had to make those belts yourself and you had to like you work up your image uh, more than you have today i mean today you can go online and just buy buy an outfit and you'll be uh so and so emo or whatever and uh but back then uh, and uh, what i mean with the depressive um some of the black metal back then was almost like anti life Mm-hmm. I would say it's yeah, yeah. It's in a way, it's darker than death metal. Like death metal sounds like it's the the more evil thing or or an image, but black metal is is very like you say. You say organic. I would say raw. Like the yeah. recordings are. Um, it seems to me that the recordings are like bad on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and uh, death metal is more like uh, cartoonish in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, with all all the gore and stuff like that, but bl- black metal was more about uh, like uh, uh, emotions. I would say it's like yeah. authentically nihilistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. I mean, I sometimes get embarrassed by talking about it, but it, yeah, that's just how it is. But it, but w- regardless, it viscerally the sound of it. Yeah. And message resonated with you. That must have been difficult then for your parents who didn't want you to even listen to Kiss. Then, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they didn't know what was going on then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but uh, I mean, when I listened to black metal back then, uh, I had the cassette or a CD, and you kind of uh, you sat down and you listened through the whole uh, the whole record, and you just. Even though it was bad sounding, you just uh, had enough attention to like get all the details and uh, moods and yeah, uh, it wasn't like it is today. Like you get you listen to a song at Spotify and three minutes and you're done. Mm-hmm. Back then it was more like yeah, okay, this is the album for today. All right, and here is David and I again. Did you see your goal as to be accepted? in that community to be rebellious or to bring your Christianity to that as a mission? I think that, I mean, for me, my goal was to bring the love of Jesus and the light of Jesus to anyone that I would meet. And for me, I was, yeah, I really like to be part of the metal community and the metal community in, in Norway would have a lot of people from the black metal scene or from the death metal scene. Or, so obviously, yeah, uh, I guess we tried to bring Jesus out to all the sins. And could can you identify which was more important? I think it felt like, if I should be totally honest, I would I would think it would be like a fifty fifty thing. But I think without the perspective of wanting to 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 tell people about Jesus, I I don't think Extol would have existed because that was the the main driving force behind 
everything we did. And uh, but when we did it, yeah, music was extremely music itself was extremely important. Our albums, our songs, our song the songwriting became extremely important. And the the part of it that you just uh, happened to mention about being accepted that that became more and more important, unfortunately, because I I don't think I'm not a big fan of always striving for people's recognition, but that's part of life, I guess. And that became part of the deal for Exo as well. That we 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 really wanted to be accepted, you know, in the scene that we were part of, and, and not only among our Christian friends. <laughs> so, and I guess our generation. I mean, all the bands that came out from from the Christian from a Christian background, and all of us wanted to be signed by secular labels, and all of us wanted to, you know, play with the secular bands. And now back to tour and me. So then you're playing guitar, learning black metal, and trying to form your image in in the black and death metal way like you want to be yeah like yeah, that yeah are you more wanting to fit in with black metal or be a different ver- a christian version of that early on we we kind of felt uh, we didn't feel part of a christian scene yeah we 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 just wanted to be a, a band that got accepted for the music and uh if we were christians okay but that uh our main goal was to play music and uh, get acceptance we formed our band. Uh, it was called Lengsel, uh, and we got uh, we got signed to a, to a German uh, really underground label. Uh, in I think it was ninety eight, mm-hmm. but that record never got released. So we met this guy called this Samuel Durling in Sweden, uh, who had uh, Antime Productions. He licensed the album to Solid State. Mm-hmm. And that, in 2000, yeah. That's Lingsoul, I know people are, are familiar with, and it was showed up. It was in Solid State's catalog, or is in Solid State's mm-hmm. catalog, and a, on a bunch of samplers. I remember encountering it there um, yeah. a really long time ago. How does that fit in the timeline with Xtol? You were in Lingsoul before Xtol. We, uh, we moved to Oslo in 98 uh, after the recording of Lingsoul. And uh, when we moved to Oslo, uh, we got to know the Xtol guys. Mm-hmm. A few months later, they asked either me or John to to play bass mm-hmm. in Extol to join them on this uh, U.S. tour in '99. Uh, I think I said yes, and then I kind of joined Extol. So you were able to do both. So when I'm still interested in the musical development and the community, like how do you get from from my experience? I grew up in a like you would say, the countryside as well, and ha- and I had to move to a city to get around it. You know, me and my friends wanted to play music, and there was nobody around at all, and we yeah, knew we yeah. had to go somewhere where there's people doing things or whatever, and spend a decent amount of time in a scene yeah. to get good enough or understand what was going on, just to learn anything. We had to go get around some culture. Is that the way it was for you? That's what you moved to Oslo, and and when did you get good? And when was the band? How, you know, what were what were you doing before that? How were you playing shows? What shows were there to play? We didn't play any shows. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, uh, that's kind of like the the uh, black metal in the early days. A lot of bands didn't play live as well. It was you just uh, played in the rehearsal place, and uh, 
kind of built up an image from there. Wow. Yeah. And it so, was mail order and how was the music in get, yeah, getting ma- around? Mail order. Yeah. Totally pre-internet. There was no internet of anything at all. I mean, it not even involved. So it was just mail order and word of mouth. And you see people that wear that, that have built up their image and, and sewn their own spikes into things. And you talk to them yeah, yeah, and yeah. that guy kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. When I was 15 or 16, I think it was me, me and uh, Ole, we hitchhiked from uh, the southern parts of Norway into Oslo. Just on, we didn't know what to do, but we just wanted to go to Oslo. Uh, it's it's about four hours drive. Uh, I don't think our parents knew what we were doing, but yeah, they still allowed us. And uh, yeah, we went to Oslo, and um, we went to this uh, famous uh, bar called Elm Street. We just got thrown into the bar, and uh, I guess we just there was a new world opening up for us. We just saw that there was. Uh, a lot of people with a common taste in music. From there on, it kind of felt more and more um, obvious that we would move to Oslo to kind of try to connect to that scene. It seems like heavy music somehow binds people together more so than lighter music. It yeah. seems like there's something fundamental or deep about that aggression in music or the darkness, the heavy, mm-hmm. just the, the heaviness that mm-hmm. is more likely to create a bond with people or a scene somehow. Yeah, probably. I mean, metal and hard music, it's still, even though it's pretty popular, it's its more, uh, uh, you're an outsider if you listen to metal still. Yeah. I would i would say. Yeah. So maybe that's a bond. You feel like connected to the outsiders. Um, yeah. And the heavier the music, the more you know outsider you are, and the more the t- the closer that yeah. bond is. Like you, when you found that bar and you found that people, you say, "Oh, there, there's my people here. They do yeah. this thing." Yeah. I mean, you know, you yeah. find your people that that way. Yeah. I don't think people have that experience with no, other yeah. music as deeply somehow. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Uh, I, I think I felt uh, the same uh, back then. I, I'm, I've changed, so I don't feel the same anymore. But uh, I think there's something there, yeah, that you kind of uh, you feel connected to the, uh, yeah. Were you aware of what was happening in the United States and their scenes and underground and you know things building up there and and people coalescing together and making heavy music scenes? Is it something you knew about, yeah. wanted to be a part of, or it was more isolated still? No, I, I was I was uh, really into American death metal bands uh, like. Uh, Obituary, Morbid Angel, uh, I mean, like the Florida scene and uh, the band Death. And yeah, so I had, uh, I mean, I, I was reading magazines and I I had uh, everything under control, to say it that way. Yeah. What, what about Christian metal? Uh, yeah, I, heard, I listened to bands like uh, Believer, I don't know if you know them. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, Crucified and uh, Vengeance Rising. So, yeah. so you knew Crucified. Uh, Believer was was on Rex with Living Sacrifice, I believe. I, yeah. We just t- we talked about them recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then Crucified was uh, an influence on you over there, even at that time before you were even more familiar with Tooth and Nail or anything. But Mark Solomon and Crucified was yeah, uh, yeah, was yeah. penetrated all the way over there to it was one of your influences. Yeah, yeah, huh? yeah. I think uh, one of us had this uh, Heaven's Metal magazine mm-hmm. back in the days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but I think I've heard the the first Crucified album uh, when it came out, really. 
Yeah, because yeah. it was in that mail order scene. I mean, it, yeah, it was yeah, part yeah, of that, sure, yeah. that thing. It got yeah. passed around pretty good. It's kind of a legendary yeah. deal. That, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. I think that's edgier because it's this really heavy style, dark music, and then being overtly and boldly Christian was just another kind of, that's like outsider on top of outsider in a way, sometimes yeah. the way I look at that. Yeah, it was, uh, sometimes we, we felt like we had to look over our shoulders when we were walking in certain scenes with the, with the other black metal people that knew that we were Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we kind of had the, we didn't get acceptance in like the Christian world, and we didn't get acceptance in the like uh, true black metal world. Yes, I, I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, because to you, like you say, you cultivate that image to be as satanic as possible is almost what you're going for, <laughs> and then to go up there and say we're Christian is like you're, you're. It's hard enough to make that that the dark image in the first place, and then to cut against it with Christianity. Is even yeah, a whole yeah. other whole whole another level that makes the yeah. journey difficult. Uh, yeah. But I mean, you were did you gain some acceptance? Was there some of those bands that 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 yeah, would accept yeah. you based on the the music and didn't like the message? Or when the uh, when the album came out, we got good response, I would say. And but we've never been an evangelical band mm -hmm. at all. We we just happens to be Christians, uh, even though we kind of uh, wish we didn't have to write christian lyrics we 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 had to in a way yeah maybe some people got provoked by us but uh yeah we we didn't scream out that we were christians that, yeah we just wanted to get acceptance get get accepted for the music and when you say really. we had to watch over your shoulder you mean physically <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean we were teens or maybe uh, 20 years old and uh, like the other guys in the black metal scene were young as well so it's kind of this rivalry that mm -hmm. uh, happened yeah yeah there's th stuff that we had over here a lot of times where it would be straight edge crews and hardcore guys and in certain yeah, yeah. cities they'd run together and that you know there was definitely some air of or pretend amount of i didn't ever really get into it particularly, but there was always stories and rumors of these people getting beat up by this gang or this group that rolls with this that's either straight edge or th whatever yeah, yeah. it is kind of thing. So I guess that's just kind of thing 20-year-olds do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. So what is your personal experience of interfacing then with the American culture and particularly Solid State? When I got over to the U.S., uh, it was in uh, with Extol, uh, I I had kind of like left the the Christian scene uh, by saying that by not I didn't listen to Christian music at all. I was more uh, interested in interested in listening to like good music, quote unquote. Uh, uh, so when I got over to the U.S. Uh, and got introduced to the solid state scene, I didn't know anything about that scene at all. The other extol guys, they knew about the scene, but I, uh, I didn't have a clue. I was more into Scandinavian metal, and uh, yeah, so so it was kind of a shock to me. 
uh, I was wearing like skinny jeans and uh, was a, I was skinny back then. And when I got over to the US, everybody was wearing like baggy pants. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, 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 I kind of felt like a freak. So uh, long, everybody, was, you were long hair. Everybody was long hair and skinny hair. jeans yeah, and yeah. thin. And then here it was still, it was still before we started doing skinny jeans. It was before that. It was when yeah, yeah, we were yeah, just baggy yeah, yeah. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was awkward in the beginning, but uh, uh, I mean, after a few weeks, you get used to to everything. So I kind of got to know the scene and uh, start to appreciate some of the bands. On the first, we with we were on tour with Blindside, and I had didn't have a clue about Blindside. I didn't know about the band, and yeah, everything was new. They have a strong following at the time. I think they were on tour with the POD mm-hmm. before they uh, went on tour with us. But this is, this was '99, so they didn't have the biggest following back then, I would think. But uh, yeah, it was was fun. Did you find the fans and the scene here? How did you find it different or surprising uh, compared to there? I think uh, I got surprised by the scene in the U.S. They were really dedicated, uh, more dedicated than here. Maybe that's because we're Norwegian and there's a there's a language distance, or like there, there's it's kind of exotic when we Norwegians come to the U.S. Mm-hmm. and play a gig. So it was like a really good experience, and the fans were really really good to us. That's great. If you played on the album Undeceived, that's my favorite one. I think that's I, I really love, especially the opening track there. I think it's a I think mm-hmm. it's a powerful song. It starts with the strings kind of arrangement there, and then goes into the just you know big switcheroo mm-hmm. right there. I'm curious what the thinking was on that. I feel like that song has a lot of ripples and effects, and has influenced a lot of solid state and beyond since then that's the kind of what the feeling i have about that record and i'm curious if you have any analysis or memory of uh making that record or that song particularly no that song uh, it's uh, it's made by ola uh who used to play next door uh so i don't know how he composed the song uh but i know we had some friends playing the violence in the beginning and uh yeah it, it kind of became like the open an opening song on gigs as well. Mm-hmm. It's very yeah. epic, like this that string yeah. intro being so good, and then yeah. drop it in so heavy, and then the the you know there's violins in this great yeah, sound yeah. and the mixture of that the, the violins throughout the that yeah, throughout yeah. that track yeah. and, and beyond yeah, yeah, on that sure. record. But, but uh, yeah, it's it's a uh, melodic death metal song. <laughs> <laughs> I would say I would say to the hardcore scene and. Um, Maybe metal scene in the U.S. It felt like revolutionary, maybe, but here in Scandinavia, it's more like uh, a lot of people did that stuff uh, back in the days. Well, that's the cross pollination of the scenes. You know, they develop locally mm-hmm. and through word of mouth and these very small things. And then once we see the internet come, and then mm-hmm. you know, travel is doable, and communication is doable, and. Uh, digital music is doable you get to really start cross-pollinating a ton so yeah, you yeah, actually yeah. get to develop over there and then influence bands over here and vice versa and i just yeah, can't yeah. i just think that's the most fascinating thing in the yeah, world it is, it is. it's all it able is. to connect and a band you know musicians and bands like x and lynxel and mantric mm-hmm. and uh 
I don't know who else were Benia Reach and self minded that that whole thing that that stuff's important and how it all mixes together and I think it's just yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now we're going back to David. Can you tell their voices apart yet? So you're over here trying to continue to be musically valid and accomplish the spread of Christianity. How does the uh, American <laughs> culture? How is it similar or different? What things did you notice here and that were surprising or good or bad? I think back then, I think we were thinking that Americans were a little superficial. Like, I mean, we were young, 21. And I remember thinking that we were, I don't know, a little bit more. I've just realized that, no, we just had the idea that we got an impression that things were a little bit more superficial when we would, you know, we were just as superficial as well. And um, not afraid of talking good about themselves. But in Norway, we're, we, we come from a culture where we don't really, you should never say anything good about yourself, at least. Yeah, so you, you end up not, I don't know, uh, I guess we're a, a more closed and, and keeping things a little bit more to ourselves. Mm-hmm. You found the Americans to be slightly uh, braggy, boastful, and, and direct and, and in a way that makes you take them less seriously. But it was more like, hey, the guy that says this, does he really mean it? We would be direct as well, but we wouldn't say anything before we were sure. It would, we would wait until we knew what we were suggesting. What, what do you know when you're a kid? <laughs> is, the flip, is the flip side of the way that you would see Americans be that from a, a different point of view, looking at you, people would have found your culture and norms, at least in your band in that time, to be more reserved I guess reserved was a a word I was uh, searching for. I guess in Norway, uh, especially back then in in, in the 90s, the whole culture or our society is that we should all be the same or something. I don't know. We have our welfare system where we pay our tax and everything goes into a common pile of fundings that goes back to everyone that we need it. And so everyone is being taken care of. But the American culture is a little bit more, if you have a lot of money, I think you can, you can have a lot of power in America. That would never happen in Norway. So in Norway, we would be a little afraid to, to stick out. Uh, but uh, with Exo, we definitely, we stuck out. <laughs> and I, I, I guess we were tired of, you know, just being like everyone else. We wanted to be ourselves, both with music and our our faith. So you spent, you've done touring internationally a lot. So it's not just that you're in Norway and the United States. You've been a ton of places. How do how does America and Norway compare to the rest of the world? Are America and Norway uh, more similar than the rest of the world, or is the rest of the world more like one than the other? Like there are so many reasons why the societies are so different, different than also the. Um, the, the Christian circuits, I guess, or the, the the churches in the different countries, countries. But I think, like the the whole uh, Scandinavia is pretty similar. Sweden, Denmark, Norway. Uh, I feel that Europe is a little more similar to Norway than America is a very unique place globally. From your in your assessment. And when I was a kid, I would do anything to move there. Uh, I would do anything. I remember I told my, my parents that, uh, that, yeah, one day I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start a band and I'm going to move to America. That's going to be my base. That's going to, I'm going to get a family there. That's what, where I'm going to live. 
know, but uh, that did not happen. Especially in the 80s, all of us wanted to, to go to America, the country of opportunities. And we did not move to America. But we always had Norway as, as a base for what we were doing. But I think I think America is a great place for traveling and meeting meeting people. And and I've got so many friends uh, traveling there, touring there. Uh, all the bands that we met and all the people in the industry and that we met uh, along the way. But uh, to me, it was really, it was a big surprise that Excel was so accepted and embraced by the American uh, audience. And we would think that our music would, you know, uh, be a good fit for Germany or for certain countries in, in Europe. Our fans, they were based in America. Wow. You know, I wouldn't give Tooth and Nail and Solid State all the credit for that, but for certainly it's a both. I mean, it was a creation of these cultures. There's the two pedals of the bike. It's the bands creating things and then the cultures. The cultures, the fans, the bands, and the industry together. But they're all, especially through the 90s and 2000s, there was really a really good pedaling effect between the pedals up and oh, yeah. down and influencing each other. And then it, it you know, connected internationally and was able to do that. It's just so wonderful of a image to me yeah it is but i mean i mean it's it's interesting how when we look back i think most of the music that extol is inspired by came from america and uh, it's interesting to see how america how american metal bands looked to scandinavia later on and got inspired to oh, the metal yeah. that they play today and like you know how huge influence at the at the gates and in flames and the sugar has had for you know the American scene today. Yeah, from my point of view, it's well metal. That's a European thing that we copy, you know, or something. That's the way I think. Yeah, I yeah think but it was it. the same. But it was the same thing with us. I mean, we 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 copied Death or or uh, Morbid Angel or the whole Florida death metal scene. Uh, everything that came out on Roadrunner. I mean, we and even Believer were released on Roadrunner. You're the fourth person to mention Believer in the last few weeks to me. So I didn't know it so much before, but I have it locked in my memory now as a very important band, obviously. They're probably one of the three most important bands that Extol was inspired by. And also, when if we later on will talk about Azusa, uh, Believer is the number one influence. Okay, so you get the opportunity to eventually get from there into the wider world and then connect with people like me and the culture like the United States and, and stuff like that and, uh, and and be an influence over here. And then that whole thing keeps going. And then people wanted to be accepted uh, by by Extol. You know, I remember we played a show one time with Extol and and I thought I was very, very intimidated and feeling like, oh my gosh, these guys are going to think we're so terrible. I mean, you probably don't even remember, but the feeling I have is, oh my gosh, these people are really accomplished, technical musicians, really good, been doing this a long time international over here we have to open for them our music's not near as heavy not near as technical and they're going to laugh at us you know i had that same feeling about you you know where, where I, I really wanted to be accepted or something um at yeah. some point it was yeah, when yeah, you yeah. came at the beginning of the tour with demon hunter it was the first show oh, in yeah. seattle at a really small place i don't remember what it was and it okay. was started there Pocan? and went to okay. cornerstone i'm sorry i can't i can't hear you say that again it was do you remember it was that Bocanes, Bocans, Bocanes? No, it was in Seattle, but it might have been the second show. But Roy oh, yeah. Culver was there. It's probably the the bar show at the 
really small bar. Yeah, really small Probably. bar. Yeah, it was just a tiny yeah. place. With the Agnesine and Demon Hunter. Yes, with Agnesine and Demon Hunter, yeah. And uh, it was it was there, that tour was, it ended in Cornerstone. Um, and our keyboard player, Josh, rode on that tour and did uh, sound for, for Demon Hunter and was just telling us oh, how yeah? good you guys sounded and how good your sound guy was. And, you know, you guys were a benchmark <laughs> kind of a thing is the way we saw yeah. it. Oh, that's funny. Thank you. That's nice to hear. <laughs> so, uh, and I, I mentioned Roy. I think Roy is terrific and everything. How did you get oh, yeah. accepted in Norway and then signed and recognized internationally and signed to Solid State? I'm very interested in that. I don't know the story at all. Yeah, uh, there are several reasons. I mean, I think that we we had a big dream. I remember before we got anything accomplished, I had the vision that we would play, going to go on tour in America. Yeah, we just had a, you know, like a huge dream. Christian, Peter, and I, we were just three regular kids from a small town outside Oslo. And we didn't really believe in ourselves as musicians or that we could accomplish anything. But I remember when I when we started to play together, I told the guys that if Ole Børu, this famous Norwegian, he was like extol guitar player for many years, but before he joined Extol, he he was like the, the Michael Jackson of the Norwegian Christian world. He would record his first album uh, at the year of uh, when he would be five years old, and he would probably record, I don't know, 15 albums or something before he joined Extol. And I remember I told Christian Peter that, okay, but this guy, if he, if he would call me and ask me to join his band, I would join him. I remember I told the guys, because he was so, such talented and you know professional musician, uh, even though he would only be 18 years old. And I told, but ironically, this guy joined Extol. Um, he came and asked us if he could join us in a way, or he just called me up and and we started to jam. And later on, he he became a member of the band. And he lifted our, I don't know, the level of musicianship was really, really raised by uh, having him in the band. He would question the stuff that we would, you know, play or, um, he would question our songwriting and we, we would improve and, you know. And then I remember um, Emil Nikolaisen, this other guy, uh, I was also a guitar player in Expo before Ole came in. He was really into Tooth and Nail, the whole alternative scene. He would, you know, order all the records that came out and uh, he would be into Starflyer 59. He would be into the alternative scene, the, the scene that we had no idea about and that we were not really into. And he would wear his tooth nail uh, t-shirts, and his all his friends would uh, wear his um, tooth nail t-shirts. And he they had a, he had also had his own band called Royal, and they were later on released on so on tooth nail um, back in '98 or something. And I remember that I could not dislike tooth, uh, tooth nail more. It was <laughs> it kind of it kind of. Uh, it represented everything that I did not like. <laughs> like what? Um, but it was kind of no. I, I just felt that he was killing the metal scene. I see. Uh, like we were really into the early nineties, you know, death metal movement, thrash metal movement, and we wanted, you know, we were growing our hair. Uh, everyone else were cutting it, you know. We really wanted to to make metal, and then Tuthnay came, and they. 
they just released stuff that was not metal. So is that the battle between like hair metal and Nirvana basically played out in a different way? Is that rejection of the, the intricate for the... Definitely. Yeah, it is. And um, so I was always like making a joke when we would play the first time on Cornerstone. We were not signed or anything. It was back in 98 that we would burn at this nail flag on stage <laughs> just to, you know, to show the world that, hey, we're different. We want, we want to do something else, you know. We got an invitation to play on a small festival in Texas called Texas Rock Fest. So we flew over and we played a gig there. And Doug Van Pelt, he asked us if we, or the story is longer and I'm not going to take the story now. But we ended up playing on the HM stage in 98 uh, on Cornerstone. And uh, I remember we played two o'clock in the morning after the Mexican band Lament. Uh, and I remember, I think that Brandon was there. I think Bill Powers was, he was there. And it was the label that we were signed to in Sweden called Entram Productions. Samuel, Samuel Durling, the label manager, he, he knew the guys and he invited them to come to the, to the show. And I think they were blown away, or at least that was what Samuel, uh, Samuel said. And they decided, decided to offer us a, a deal um, with Tooth Nail or Solid State. Um, that night? I mean, like right away? Did you talk? Did you well, meet that, them the next that day? Was or what what? They booked a meeting the, the day after and, and they started to discuss it. And I think it was pretty obvious that it would, would happen. And, uh, you know, that was pretty strange for me. I guess I'm one of the more, you know, I was probably. I, I, I've always been like a driving force in the band and, and for us to sign with Tooth Nails All Estate, that was, a little, that was a little bit, hmm, okay. So we're joining all the alternative bands now, are we? You know, <laughs> uh, but then again, it was a little bit like, a, uh, how to say it, the use of the middle finger without uh, using the F word. Well, just middle finger works for a descriptor all its own. Everybody, that's pretty universal. We'll just go with that. It was a little bit like, okay, uh, because it was so trendy to be into the alternative music and to be into all the, you know, the whole, the whole hardcore scene, the, the punk scene. And we felt like we were not cool enough and that we didn't fit in. And, but here, you know, the label that would promote all these bands would, you know, they would accept us and they would sign us. And that was a little bit like, <laughs> okay, guys, it was with mixed feelings, but was also also satisfying to sign with with solid state that's very interesting it's a a complicated thing i think for a lot of bands it's that way it's like should we sign the tooth and nail there's this and there's that but it kind of cuts right in the middle in a way it's like well we'll get more exposure and if they're behind it and okay it kind of breaks open some new boundaries let's try it let's you know i think that's a lot of bands have had that very same for different reasons but um i think it's a common story that tooth and nail was able to get into the gaps um that other people weren't to to tie things together with some brandon had some vision there of knowing that more things could work together if people would just get it rolling yeah but i mean the the um, the whole picture is uh, was obviously way bigger than I would, you know, see or I was probably being egoistic and all. And like now taking many steps back and uh, seeing the, the full picture, I, I just think that Brandon has been a, a huge blessing to one thing is his part of, you know, contributing to all the scenes that he was uh, 
helping creating by having these labels. But yeah, I think it's been been a huge blessing to so many all the bands giving us the op- opportunities that we wouldn't have otherwise. And uh, it has given us the opportunities to to opportunity to to get to know so m- so many people and so many bands and to to get out there and you know play gigs. Uh, uh, and also, I mean, Solid State they 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 helped helped us with record sales. So the bigger dream was, of course, to to sign to get the recognition from a, from a secular la- record label, and the sales from Solid State helped us signing with Century Media later on, and uh, we had a couple of albums on Century Media before we kind of broke up in 2006 or seven. And now back to tour. Would you mind at this time telling me if you have three favorite songs in the Tooth and Nail catalog? Yeah, there's this uh, band called uh, Fall Sanjura. I think that maybe that's Beck Recordings, but still it's an uh, imprint of Solid State or Tooth & Nail. Samovar from the album Ultra Forever is a, is a really good song. And, and I mean, the whole album, it's, uh, it has some kind of uh, Sonic Youth vibe mixed with uh, My Bloody Valentine and... Uh, yeah, I appreciate that album and that song. Um, okay, what else? My good friends, uh, Self-Minded. Mm-hmm. Uh, they released uh, this album called At the Barricades We Fall. That's one of my absolute favorite albums, one of the most influential albums yeah, to me, yeah, for yeah. sure, is that one. So that one yeah, I'm very, yeah. very familiar with. What's your favorite self-minded song? Uh, I would say One Step f- Further. Yes. It's, uh, it's a party song. That's the the one step. That's the one in seven time. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. that. The drum beat starts. Yeah. That's my yeah, favorite. It's so just cool. my totally favorite. I, I do that. Yeah. Drop that beat like that all the time. I do that all the time. favorite song is always by self-minded i saw them the one time they came to uh the united states play live it totally changed changed my world but without their vocalist i mean they had the, a vocalist i think it was their <laughs> vocalist you know it was it, they yeah, okay. it was they were here it was a solid state festival yeah. um as far as i know they were only here one time and i think that yeah somebody didn't make it there was one of the band members i think didn't make yeah. border customs that's, i don't know if it was the singer or somebody else was singing no, that's uh, that's uh, that's ilka uh, the singer he mm-hmm. didn't uh, the customs sent him back to norway well it was still great it's still life-changing <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. and i want to talk about that band at Benia reach also but let's yeah, we'll yeah. move forward with with uh and the, the next song, song is uh, the next band is uh, Pedro the Lion, uh, Penetration from uh, Control. I think Control is, and is not in the technically in the Tooth and Nail catalog, but will certainly allow it. Dave Bazan is a 
as a legend of Tooth and Nail, because at least the holy pee of his was on Tooth and Nail. That album has, uh, I, I don't know, it's uh, something about the vibe on that album that uh, resonates with me. Uh, it's a really good album. Dave is a legend yeah. in, in our scene. Yeah. He's a yeah. founding father, perhaps, you could say. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So then you're an X-Toll. Do you make a record with X-Toll? Do you make uh, Undeceived? Were you on that album? Yeah, I, I play uh, I play bass, not on all tracks, but on a few tracks. Um and then I kind of get a permanent, like a permanent member of the band. Mm -hmm. And we are playing some shows in uh, Europe and Scandinavia. And then Ole leaves the band. So uh, I step up on the guitar. Uh, I mean, I'm really a guitar player, not a bass player. So, so it kind of felt natural to play guitar. And uh, John from uh, Lengsel start to play bass in Extol. And then we go on, on a US tour in uh, 2000. Uh, and we tour somewhere in Europe as well, in Scandinavia. And uh, we continue to write some songs. And then we release an EP in, uh, I think it's 2001 or 2002. I can't remember. Uh, but then I kind of uh, grew tired of uh, death metal and uh, the whole metal scene. And besides having extolled, we kind of, uh, Lengsel kind of slowly faded away and we started a new band called Ganglion that was more like a Scandinavian, Scandi rock. I don't know if you know, uh, like helicopters, yeah, more like Scandinavian rock uh, with some uh, progressive elements mm -hmm. to it. And I, I wanted to do that more than playing death metal. I think that progressive is is a really good way to look at maybe the whole theme of a lot of the things and attractions that I, I hear you saying that describe mm -hmm. a lot of people. And it's you find something, maybe like Bon Jovi, and you want to know yeah. what's the next level, what's the next level. If I can play this, can yeah. I play that? Can it go harder, darker, faster, more? You yeah, know? Yeah, and then yeah. at some point in the progress, you go, okay, hard and fast is one thing, but there's other areas and boundaries to break and push into. To you know, I hear that progression mm. theme in prog rock. Is, uh, yeah, yeah. It sounds like it fits you pretty well. No, yeah, I mean, and, and death metal, it became, uh, it became kind of like too mainstream. It felt... Uh, it didn't have the organic vibe that it used to have. And uh, I grew tired of it. And uh, as well, I kind of, on the uh, 2000 tour in uh, in the US, I kind of felt like uh, the Christian scene, it didn't, um, I didn't fit in the Christian scene in a way. In what way? Uh, especially in the metal scene. I mean, the black and white thinking, like... It, it doesn't always feel good to be a role model. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't like that. Uh, that's not me. Mm -hmm. So, 
And with Extol, it's like uh, when you're in Extol, it, it felt to me at least that when you were in Extol, you had to be uh, be a certain way. And uh, that felt, after a while, that felt uh, didn't feel right. And why in Extol you had to be a certain way? Is that the culture of the band or the, the pressure of the external pressures there? I think it was the culture of the band. I mean, we were young back then. It's it's not the same today, but back then it was. Uh, I, as I said, I I'm uh, brought up in the like the state church, and the other guys came from uh, had a Pentecostal background, mm-hmm. and there's some differences there. I mean, like speaking in tongues and uh, all those kind of things, and I kind of always felt different, and um, uh, we kind of parted ways. Or at least I felt in my mind that we did. I, I couldn't, uh, it, it didn't feel right. So the culture of Extol to you always felt a, more in the vein of that they had a Christian message and were role models and had an mm-hmm. evangelical or a, that was part of their image and, and responsibility. Yeah, yeah and, and people had some expectations, you know, mm-hmm. from the band. And uh, after the show, you have to talk with somebody and they have like, uh, yeah. They have their stories, how Extol changed their lives. and uh, The hero worship the, thing can be yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, really, really. That feels weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and like being on Cornerstone in 2000, I was smoking cigarettes and it felt like... Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. No, it was, totally. It was, it was so weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the other guys in Extol were, were comfortable with that and it was authentic to them? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. It was kind of my my decision only. Mm-hmm. All right, and to David now on the topic of ministry. How did the ministry aspect uh, evolve or, or increase or decrease and, and stuff like that? Like when I was talking to Tor, he seemed to he came from a different religious background and said he was less interested in that and saw you guys. Um, he, he said he had some issues with. With the image that was necessary to to be a hero, to be a to be to embrace being a Christian band, meant that you yeah. had to have some type of exemplary behavior or yeah. or something like that. How's that in your mind? Yeah, I guess like coming from a serious, you know, Christian family, and uh, I was quite active in my church, and um, also later on we started our own church in '97 called uh, Serb Church. And I was one of the leaders. Yeah, I guess we kind of wanted to, you know, to be good role models. And uh, I can see that being being difficult when you're (laughs) a human being (laughs) (laughs) on a stage with a band or not. I mean, that's very difficult. But you wanted to be a role model. That was part of your goal. Continued goal was to be a role model. In a way. Uh, And I'm not sure if that was, if that would be part of the um, initial ministry or not i mean like showing jesus how is i mean he is the role model i'm not uh, so i'm i totally understand if thor if thor thought that was difficult and i i guess that he was probably it was a bit of a cultural shock uh, shock for him i guess to enter the band and we he came he had like a lutheran church background and we we came from more um, the charismatic pentecostal movement with you know raising our hands when we would pray or you know stuff like that so he was probably a little bit oh what's going on here mm-hmm. and um it's stupid that a lot of christians me included and maybe me uh 
more than anyone. Uh, being a good role model is a goal that you end up trying to have a good facade. And I guess we did not succeed in, in reaching that goal many times because it's, it's just impossible to be a perfect person. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's why we need Jesus, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so tell me about what Tor was up to and what you did. Uh, I, I think you st- started with Benia Reach. When Benia Reach first uh, started up, I played guitar in the beginning. And who else was yeah. in there? It was the singer? Yeah, oh, it's Ilka, 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 the singer, and uh, Marco, the drummer. Yeah, there were some other guys that didn't play in uh, Self Minded, but st- it started kind of started as a new band. So you are a founding member of Benia Reach. I was asked to join. Asked uh, to join. So I, uh, yeah, yeah. I would. I'm just curious what the philosophy of that band was. Like, what were they going for? Because it is just so heavy. I mean, I totally get it. I love it, and it's just so. Yeah. I, I consider that to be one of the heavier records I've ever heard. <laughs> you know. <laughs> What do you think the philosophy is there? What were they aiming for? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, Marco, he's, the, he's an amazing drummer. He's really, really, really good. And uh, Ilka is a really good uh, singer as well. And uh, I know that Marco is, he at least he used to be into bands like Meshuga. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like he was into good drummers. <laughs> and... Uh, I think the the vision for that band was to be like really heavy and uh, still be intricate mm-hmm. in the rhythms and stuff like that. Yes, yeah. that's a good description. But you didn't stay long in that band. I think I stayed for a year, uh, maybe. And then, uh, yeah, as I said, I had this band called Ganglion. Uh, I wanted to dedicate more time to that band and uh, we started to write uh, a lot of music and we started to tour a bit and uh, we wanted to get signed to a label. Meanwhile, Extol, two of the Extol members, Christer and Ole, uh, they left Extol and... Uh, I remember getting a uh, message from either Peter or David to if Ganglion would like to kind of merge into Extol. So that kind of <laughs> what, what happened. Yeah. yeah. So so you so, remerged with Extol through Ganglion. Yeah. And what year was that? Maybe end of 2003 mm-hmm. or 2004. Uh, yeah. So we decided to to go for it. But that uh, that meant that we we brought like the ganglion songs, uh, most of the ganglion songs into Extol. 
which ended up in uh, like being the the Blueprint Dives album from Extol. Which is great. That one's really great. Yeah. And then yeah. that lasts till 07 or so? 07. Yeah, I think 07. 06, 07, yeah. And and then at this time, all of Extol goes to hiatus. And what was the reason for that? I mean, uh, it's probably a lot of reasons. But uh, I mean, in uh, 2006, to 2007, we were... We had been touring a lot, playing a lot, uh, spending a lot of time making music. And uh, at that age, in 2006, we all got uh, married and uh, we had some obligations that we had to take care of. Mm -hmm. And that kind of leads to, I mean, you feel feel more responsibility and you have to be responsible for your your family, uh, which can be hard. And uh, Peter he wanted to have a meeting that and told us that he uh, didn't feel well continuing the band and we just decided to put it on a hiatus and so you've been doing a you've had a musical life since a teenager at that point and then mm-hmm. at this point what does it look like for you what are you thinking do you guys have other jobs ever at this time are you are you thinking this whole time yeah. you're a career musician and always will be i mean how does i, I don't really know i mean it was like uh it it meant so much to us to 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 play in a band and in uh, our whole identity was built upon playing in a band and and when that kind of ends it's uh it's tough i would say looking back now i think it had had more impact on me than uh, i realized back then mm-hmm. but i mean when we had that meeting and peter told us that uh, we should just take uh, lay the band down we just went went right at writing new music starting mm-hmm. a new band and uh yeah we didn't have a break we just continued maybe we should have taken a break i don't know <laughs> yeah so to continue there is is it career-wise like we have to continue to make money kind of thing or we have to continue because we can't stop playing music or you yeah, know how to- we can't stop we have uh, all all of us had the day jobs we had to so uh, music was just something we had to do mm-hmm. what kind of day jobs do you guys have i was working with uh, drug addicts and alcoholics and the other guys did something similar i mean looking back now uh, to start a new band it takes a lot of time but thankfully we were still kind of pretty we were pretty young so we we didn't care about that but if that would have happened today, it's uh, it's tougher, I would say. Yes, but but you got you got up and out and started Mantric. Yeah, yeah. And you had an album by 2010 at least already out with that, and have done three now. We have done three albums. Yeah, that album, uh, the the first album when we started to to write that album, uh, David from Extol, he was still in the band in the beginning, but he he felt it kind of awkward to play in the band with. The, the three of us, uh, and not having Peter there, right, right. It, it felt uh, weird for him. So, and I think he wanted to play more uh, metal again. So, what was the musical thinking? Like, okay, we're not doing X Toll anymore. There's not, we're not doing Linksoul, you know, Ganglion. Mm-hmm. We have a chance here to reinvent musically. I, I wonder if you took the time. I mean, what were you thinking at the time as far as musical direction what, from the outset? 
I mean, we've always kind of created music that we 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 like. So uh, when Mantrix started, we just continued to to play the music that we liked. So uh, that would either have ended up on like Stole album or Mantrix. So it didn't matter really. Oh, interesting. So you don't think yeah. of it. So is that part of being just kind of purely progressive? Wherever it takes you, you're going to go, and as opposed to try to be a genre it's more like being uh well did i see it somewhere written that it was it's, it's almost like post metal then like you just keep progressing through yeah yeah and what comes out then you can discuss it or name it yeah we we, we try not to have any boundaries mm-hmm. when we write music uh maybe more now than we used to but but still still we we wanted to we want to sound like we, we try to have a uniqueness in our music and uh, try to make it interesting for ourselves mm-hmm. as well as the listener i kind of, i think that kind of drives us to do something that are a bit different mm-hmm. i think all of the mantric stuff is very intricate um to use that word again and it, and it is certainly interesting. it's not it's just scandinavian that's just yeah, right. Well, I, I mean, I find it progressive, and it, you know, part of it is you just have different influences and stuff like that. But it's 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 constantly taking me in unexpected directions. Whereas a death metal album sounds like something totally this yeah. one thing, and now with Mantric, it's on many different levels. It it breaks boundaries and does different things in many different ways. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean. It's it's really important to me to to feel something when uh, when I write music, either it be death metal, black metal, pop or rock. So yeah, that's I think that explains the changes because I change as a person, so my music will change as well. And do you do you think there's a different philosophy that says I'm aiming at an audience or to sound like a thing or to have success? You think that's a different uh mode than trying to just do what comes out of you and come what may that's just smart people doing that (laughs) smart people do what (laughs) have a name and just continue right yeah 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 it's not as really as satisfying and on some level to to do that though i don't know it's sometimes it's fun to play like uh, to know what to know what you're gonna do Mm -hmm. of course but still to me, I need to have something to. I, I had to do something different than I did on the previous album. Yeah, it seems like that that you very much are comfortable walking away from things, moving on from things, ch- changing yeah. direction, and pursuing what you can f- have a faint vision of what yeah. could be, and you seem to step in that direction continually, which is a That's, very uh, admirable quality. It's uh, the the worst business uh, strategy. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. But it's good for the mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. You know, because otherwise, you know, you get something that works early and you stick with it. That's not. Mm. I don't think that's good for the mind. No, no, it's true. Let's talk about a, a Mantric song. Let's talk about Pollyanna. Will you tell us about that song? I think it's terrific. It's the the first one on your newest album that's out on Solid State now. Uh, it's a 2020 release. What? What? When did it come out? 24th of uh, April. In I think. April. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's fresh out. I know a lot of people haven't even gotten to it yet, or a lot of people may not even know about it yet, but the album's called False and Negative uh, by Mantric. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you can find it on Spotify, but tell us about this most recent album, Working with Solid State and the song Pollyanna, or a different one if there's one you prefer to discuss. No, but Pollyanna, it's, uh, 
it's the first song of the album. It's it's more uh, synth based kind of. It has this uh, synth melody and uh, choruses, clean vocals. I think it's really easy to get into that song. It's uh, some people call it progressive. I don't think it's progressive at all. It's just to me that's a uh, pop song. <laughs> I call it progressive personally. You do that? Yeah, okay. I think it, that's why I'm saying that that word really works for me in describing uh, what you do and have done because uh, I'm, I don't know how to describe why it fits, but it has pop textures and elements in it, but it's put yeah. together in a way that I find to be experimental or something. Like yeah. it's it's not a common way for something to be put together. So it's post pop, post yeah. metal, post punk, progressive. It's progressing. Yeah, it's new. Uh, it's fresh. It's fresh. It's uh, the song is uh, almost a ripoff of uh, the artist Banks. It's not a ripoff, but I got inspired by that a specific song from her. And uh, what song is that? I, Gemini Feed, and and I just uh, I I'd like the mood from that song, and I. Uh, just I transposed the melodies and uh, made it my own. kind of music are you consuming as a as a listener now as a grown-up <laughs> mostly mostly pop music and uh, yes of course some uh, harder music as well but good music yeah what, what is the things that are attracting you in pop music particular that you like what it has to have an uh, like an x factor to it it has to be something uh, may, maybe emotional or something that connects with me um uh, it has. It doesn't have to be like guitar driven. It could be keyboard. It could be uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, it's hard to explain. I mean, I list. If it's a good song, I like it. Uh, Is that trace all the way back to black metal? Yeah, yeah. You know that I those were say, good yeah. songs. <laughs> yeah. Or you know, like at the, at the end of the day, here. I mean, you go from the least pop thing. I mean, black metal is the opposite of pop, right? There's nothing farther from pop than black metal. No, no, it's not. So, yeah. So your whole journey now <laughs> has you looking for pop music with the X Factor, but the X Factor still is what? I, I don't know. It's hard to pinpoint. It, it has to be maybe some, um, maybe maybe the melodies take some uh, turns that are feels interesting, you mm -hmm. know? Either it either be uh, vocals or guitars, harmonies, uh, Maybe just a, a drum rhythm that is cool. But there is a there's a, a layer, the type of pop music that you find not good or cheesy. Like the, at some level, there's cheesy pop music where there's no surprises at all. Yeah, I don't listen to cheesy. Like yeah. no, yeah. 
So you like That's to find music that is catchy, happens to be popular, that is really satisfying on a musical, technical, yeah. uh, intricate level even. Yeah, it doesn't have to be intricate. It has to have it something has. new and something surprising or something that you can... Do you get this feeling like, uh, even if it doesn't matter the genre it's in, it's like you get you increase your own musical vocabulary just simply by finding something new and fascinating. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that's a really good feeling mm-hmm. to to find that uh, find those songs. Yeah. Something that expands your own mm-hmm. mind and vocabulary mm-hmm. musically. Yeah, and yeah, then that yeah. makes you want to go make something. Go try it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's the cycle, I think. I think it knows yeah. no bounds as far as genre or anything like that, of course. I think it's funny to contrast black metal with pop music, but fundamentally... I think that's the cycle is to find something unexpected, surprising and pleasant and then see mm-hmm. if you can do it and translate yeah. or transpose it and put it into your own yeah. into your own yeah. thing. I very much resonate yeah. with that approach. Yeah, it, 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 it has to make me feel something. Uh, that's the important thing. And if it does, you want to figure out how to do it again or what made it, yeah, what, yeah. What, what was it that caused me to feel that way? Yes, yeah, it's, it's like a quest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's terrific. Um I really wish you a lot of success. I love your uh, attitude and mindset. I I find it very inspiring. So um, I'm really hoping people will check out Mantric and continue to support you and that you'll keep exploring music and and making great stuff. But I want to thank you for your contribution to our scene and, and everything that's, that's been done, you know, through, through the years with X toll and and everything else. So I really appreciate it. It's had a big Thank impact, you so much. But maybe more than you know. I know you don't want to be a hero worshiper role model, but just everybody working together on collaboratively in a scene and interacting causes these mm-hmm. outcomes that are really positive, I think, for society and heavy music and, and beyond. And you've yeah. been a bit, a bit been a part of that. so. Yeah, and that's, that's, uh, that's a fun thing. When we went on tour in 2005 with Extol, we only played uh, like the Blueprint Dives from the Blueprint Dives album, uh, even though we should have played from Undeceived because people wanted to hear Undeceived. <laughs> <laughs> we, di- we didn't know better. <laughs> <laughs> so is Undeceived yeah. is the most popular one like that people always ask about? Yeah, like the, the metal fans, mm-hmm. it's, it's that way, yeah. But but I think uh, people like the blueprint dives as well. But but they find it hard to to compare it to undeceived because uh, the music change was so big that it feels awkward for them. Well, I appreciate the boundary pushing and the open mindedness that you bring to to music and the approach very much, Tor. So thank you for spending some time with me today. Thank you, Matt. For those who are interested in uh, vinyl. Uh, I think Solid State are releasing the vinyl for False Negative pretty soon. So for those who are interested in uh, buying or supporting us, it would be nice if they bought the album. Well, first of all, go stream it, save it on Spotify. Spend some time with it so you can look for all those interesting progressive musical nuggets in there fall in love with it and order that vinyl. And then that'll be really, really nice. So I like that. It's a good recommendation. For sure. Yeah. All right, thanks, Tor. Thank you.
All right, that's a little more mantric there. Now let's talk to David about his band, Azusa. Post X-Toll, you're still going to continue to do music and, 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 and do music for, I don't know, if the rest of your life, if you feel like that. And tell me about Azusa and what it's like moving on from X-Toll and, and doing something new after all that history. Well, it was extremely, extremely hard for me to accept that we wouldn't continue Extol, and I think I realized that in 2007 or so. But then we came back together in 2012, or yeah, the album. We did another album in 2013, uh, which was with, uh, without Tor, for example, or uh, the guys from Mandrick and Legsell. That was it. We did one album, we played three shows, that was it. And um, I got really... We got so many touring options and offers for Extol, and we had to turn everything down. Anyway, it had to do with, with uh, yeah. Some people are uh, familiar with Peter, the vocalist, been, has been really open about his struggles with uh, his mental health and how things haven't been so easy from time to time. That was part of why we didn't play live with Extol in 2013. I don't know how many how many times uh, if you're familiar with the band The Faceless, how many times they asked us to play or to go on tour. I remember we were at Krug Power, which is like a big uh, progressive music festival, both in America and Europe. They asked us to co-headline with Periphery, and uh, we had to turn that that down as well. And I got really, I got really just annoyed. And so in 2015. Extol was Ole, Peter, and I, only the three of us. And Christer, the guy that I actually started Extol with, with 93, he had been out from the um, He left the band in 2004. We met on a show and uh, watching Benia Reach, the guys from Self Minded, uh, that released a couple of albums on Solid State or Tooth Nail back in early 2000s, late 90s. And we met there. Christer is my cousin, but we hadn't seen each other for, for a while and uh, we got really inspired by the, the opening act there and we were just talking about old days and everything and we just decided hmm, why don't we just try to to make some music together and i was making a stu- uh, i was building a studio back then and it took me eight months or so and five months later after that show christian and i gathered the, uh, and we started to make some new music definitely influenced by Believer and at that time we were actually we were planning to continue Expol but uh, it was so interesting and so inspiring to work with Christer on this side project and Christer was not part of Expol at that time so I told uh, Ole that uh, in Expol that I, we had actually a plan to make another Expol I told him that hey Expol has to wait because I have to do this project with, with Christer and this later on became Azusa uh, I sent an email to to Liam Wilson from the bass player from Dillinger Escape Plan and asked him if he would like to join because I knew that he liked Exo and he didn't hesitate and he just said yeah sure I'll I'll play with you uh, from 2014 until 2017 we made the material for for the first album that we released in 2018 uh, it's called Heavy Yoke yeah that's true and it came out on Solid State. Mm-hmm. And we teamed up with uh, Eleni, the vocalist, and she I knew her for many years. She stood out having super extremely uh, experimental vocals, which reminded me of uh, 
progressive uh, old jazzian bands like Gong. I don't know if you heard of. She was traveling in Norway the summer of 2016, and she entered my studio, and we uh, like a demo song, uh, see if it really would work to work together, and um, it worked great. Uh, that was the first, actually, the, the opening song on Heavy Oak called uh, Interstellar Islands. Yeah, uh, Interstellar Island. Islands, yep. And that is still to this date your biggest song on Spotify. And those are actually the, the, the first lines that she would record. We kept the first lines for the album. So, From that time yeah. when she came by to do the demo. Yeah. And then you've gone on and have an album out this year, Loop of Yesterdays. Yeah, yes, we did. And I must say, I'm I'm not sure how much we Norwegians should brag about our, our own uh, creativity or stuff like that. But I'm extremely proud of the, these two albums. For those of you that are listening to this, uh, you should definitely check it out. It's in a way we're continuing the path that we we were on with Extol back in 2003 with the Synergy album. If you like that, then you probably like Azusa as well. So you think of it as a, in some ways, a continuation of in the lineage of Extol and, and relevant versus a clean slate, different thing altogether. Christer, the original guitar player, and I, we we made a lot of music together, and uh, like Azusa is like fifty percent his ideas and fifty percent my my ideas. Basically, when it like musically, when it comes to the riffs and when it com- comes to the song structures and, and melody lines, a lot of the stuff uh, from the old Excel days are you know based on the same type of dream or musical vision. But I, I think that also sounds like a lot of the stuff that we were uh, trying to do with Excel. Yes. I think so too. I think there's obviously many connections, and I think Extol fans would be insane to not to spend some time with Azusa and and try to see what's going on there and and what they could take from it. And I I uh, I, I have the feeling that the people that really care about music and have the drives that are internal uh, more than external are people to continue to pay attention to because they're making music. You know, people have been doing it for a long time for consistent reasons. You should always really pay attention to because they will be discovering new things and trying new things. And I know that's different than what you're used to in the nostalgic sense, but uh, it's very important to expand your mind and musical horizons in your lifetime. It's a thing that usually happens to people when they're young and it gets locked in, Uh, but it certainly doesn't have to. And that's what people that continue to do music 10 and 20 and 30 years after they've started and had success that are continually doing new things that 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 speaks to me just that 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 quest continues and the quest is is the same for a fan as a musician in a lot of ways i think it is to expand your palate you add more foods to what you like every single year don't you i mean i do i think you should i mean some people don't though they just still like what they like to eat when they were kids but you know there's a choice there's an active participant active thing to do um 
So I'm spending some time with Azusa. Anything I can connect with story and lineage that matters and has a context for me already, I really feel like it's worth investing the time to explore, check out, and see if you can get in somebody else's head and how they arrived there. All those things are meaningful to me. So I very much appreciate um, that you're continuing to put out music, and I really like it. Thank you. Extol has really had an influence on a ton of musicians uh, in the solid state tooth and nail world and and well beyond i can hear it i can hear the influences um I, I bet you i could trace some of them but it's very clear that the culture is collaborating is is a positive thing for the world and for music and for everything <laughs> yeah. and oh, you, yeah. you know you you're a terrific drummer and your drive to do that and have that vision to come over to america in 2000 and which you were able to do you know you're able to achieve <laughs> a lot of your big goals that you had you know i, I think that's just inspiring in its own way too so I'm a big fan of quite many bands. I mean, I my, my favorites, of course, you have Striper. And I, I, I hate every album that they put out. It sounds not the way I want it to sound because I want it to sound like they did in 1986, you know? Yeah. Uh, when they, uh, you know, spent, I don't know, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars on productions and, and were played on MTV and stuff like that. But the album they put out now, I don't like them. But, and it's the same <laughs> thing with, with The Believer, too. Like I really liked their first three album, and I think that they were headed in you know a certain direction. And then they had like a 15 year long break, and then they got back. And I did not like the new albums. And what's the reason for that? I don't know. Uh, but how is it possible that, for example, EXO we we released music 20 years ago? Uh, how can we still? And I make music that that fans or people will, would find inspirational or interesting when we're you know yeah, 20 years later. Is that possible? How can I not be striper? How can I not be believer? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's 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 hard to just to say if we achieved it or not with Azusa. But I I don't know. I don't, I believe it. But it's must be interesting to some, to some people. Oh, for sure it is. I don't have anything else to say if you don't. I think we've covered covered a great deal here, and uh, I think people will get a lot out of it. Well, I'm, I just want to add one thing, and that is I'm so happy that Azusa is on Solid State, and I'm really proud to, to be back there, and uh, I'm really thankful again to, to Brandon and the, the, the crew, to Adam and, and all these guys that believe in us and uh, just just think that Solid State is, uh, is doing a great difference and that they're doing something good. I'm not saying that everything, of course, there are challenges for every label and band, but I, I, I think that they have achieved something that they should be proud, proud of. Yeah, I agree. Um, and thank you for those words and your time today. I hope you'll enjoy the rest of your vacation out there in that beautiful spot that you're in. I'm so jealous still. Thank you so much for contacting me and for doing this. No, I appreciate it very much. I'll let you go. Nice to All meet right. you, David. Yeah, nice to meet you too. My name is John Amos from Scranton, Pennsylvania. I'm a label member and my three favorite tooth and nails catalog songs are Casting Fisher Thin Shadow by Under Oath, C Minor by Me Without You, and 127 by As Cities Burn. 
I contribute a few bucks to this podcast because I've been a tooth and nail kid since the late 90s, and I love hearing stories about the label and bands that have meant so much to me for over 20 years. So we're asking you to consider helping us the label members ensure the continuation of this podcast by chipping in any amount of money that you wouldn't even miss. Matt Carter is our host, editing and story by Matt Carter, production management, sound design, and additional mixing and editing by Reva Hansen. Our executive producer is Brandon Evil. Special thanks to Adam Scatula, Jim Worthen, Tyson Coletti, and Marshall Furness at Tooth & Nail Records. This podcast is made possible by Jesse Batesel and the rest of the members of the label community on Patreon. If you're interested in becoming a title sponsor for your band, brand, or nonprofit, find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash labels.